0: Good morning, it's a beautiful day. Thank you for choosing to spend it with us. I'm your host, John Cox, and this is the Core Keyword Podcast. Joining me on the panel for today's episode is the producer, Don Plumley, our forearmed overlord, Peyton Priest, and the Reddit famous captain of the Hogs of War, defender of the realm of Ultramar, McCragg's favorite son, Daddy Smurf himself, Howard Watts. On today's show, first the panel will reflect on March Madness, a 48-person grand tournament in Jacksonville, Arkansas. Then, on Touching Grass with Ben, building healthy habits for a healthy win roommate. And finally, the panel returns to talk a bit about what a returned index hammer might look like. So sit back, relax, and grab some snacks. So before we get into talking about toy soldiers, we just wanted to take a minute and talk about something a little more human. Three days ago, a tornado went through Little Rock. I'm sure you've seen it on the news. There were lots of injuries and casualties, lives and homes destroyed. The touchstone for us here is that the event we're about to talk about was run by the guys at Centaur. You know, we know a lot of the guys that live up at Little Rock, and um, you know, we have heard that there was some damage to their Thor. Um, We're going to try to get a hold of them and get an update before next time, but we just wanted to let them know that we're thinking about them. We're pulling for them and uh, we hope that things get back to a sense of normalcy as soon as possible. So March Madness right 48 person Grand Tournament, Jacksonville, Arkansas, and for a lot of our guys, this was their first experience with Games Workshop style terrain. Uh, and that had a big learning curve for, for quite a few of us. We didn't really have too much experience with it. It was great to get out there and uh, meet the Centaur guys and, and get some reps on the terrain set. So Peyton, um, when you looked at the player pack and you saw GW Terrain, how did that shape your expectations for the event?
1: Well, uh, I knew the meta coming into this and I knew GW Terrain would, in fact, impact uh, the, this type of meta. The 12 by 12 grids that the train is placed on is going to cover a ton of the board. It's going to cause big firing lanes with fast shooting. And it's going to be light cover everywhere. So I wanted to make some concessions in my list to make sure I covered uh, the impact of the light cover being everywhere and what armies I expected to see. So this looked like uh, for sure settling on GSC. Since they could have tons of ways to ignore the light cover benefit that basically every enemy model would have on this type of train format. And I ended up taking things like Webers in all my squads because of how GW formats benefits Power Armor Army specifically, especially looking at things like Thunder, or Thunderhammer Thunder, Storm Shield Terminators, getting to, guaranteeing being on zero up saves, wanting things like Webbers to really even out the matchup. Um, and going with bikes to be able to threaten the speed to clear the uh, GW terrain pieces, be able to see the entire board, is uh, some of the definite concessions I made to build better to GW terrain.
0: So you went into this event looking at it with the perspective of someone who has a legitimate chance to win an event you go to. Uh, which armies did you expect to have to go through to get to the finals?
1: So, knowing the local meta of the event uh, and the format we were playing in, I knew I would definitely have to go through uh, Howard Watts uh, with his Ultramarines, I knew I would be happy to go through uh, some demons in Brent, and then I knew I would have to go through um, a bunch of Space Marines. The main concern, of course, would be the Dark Angels Terminators. those were my main three concerns that I really was looking at when building my list for this uh, type of matchup. Um, it's one of the big reasons why I ended up keeping the pure strains with that came from below in my list. It opens up a ton of uh, play into both the Zinch Demons and into uh, Space Marines being able to uh, pick up the forward-deploying pieces and go back into reserves for resisting a trade and being able to pick up eliminator, or Infiltrators, my, my apologies, Um, and to not uh, get away from that uh, Deep Strike Denial. And, uh, like I said, I ended up taking those webbers because they really, really helped the Dark Angel-Terminator matchup.
0: So lots of tech for Dark Angels, lots of tech for Space Marines. Did you end up hitting either of those?
1: So I did, uh, round five, I ended up playing into Dark Angels, and uh, I did end up playing into uh, Brenz's Inch Demons. Um, I also played into a Space Wolf player round 4, uh, but that was less of uh, a concern because there weren't any Terminators in that build, um, and so the re- the reason that is a concern for GSE is they generally have AP 1 and 2, so those 1-up armor saves can be a, a concern.
0: Um, right, especially on the 12-inch the by 12-inch plates where everything's,
1: you know, but you're ignoring cover, so... Um, so those are just the thoughts that I had when looking at those three major events. Any most events I go to, I look at what I expect to be the top three meta armies. I need to I need to be able to guarantee at least have a fifty fifty into um, if I'm trying to at least podium. Um, and so, like I said, I took Webers to help with the power armor matchup, and I wanted to keep the pure strains in the list because they help with my turn one pressure to keep Zinch demons honest and to remove infiltrators as early as possible without trading.
0: Now, when you looked at the player pack and you saw that one of the map styles had been excluded, uh, how did that cause you to adapt?
1: So, because that the 9-inch cutout variant uh, of the deployment maps uh, were not in this player pack, I knew that a lot of the really aggressive melee armies were going to be at a disadvantage on this map. Combined with the fact that GW terrain, more so than any other terrain format, really benefits fast guns, I knew that we were going to see mobile gun mines was going to be the format that I was walking into. So I wanted to build a list that could uh, combat that uh, properly. Um, So
0: you said that you feel like uh, aggressive melee armies were going to be disadvantaged and that uh, mobile shooting was going to be advantaged. When you say mobile shooting, uh, we've got someone here who plays a a list that was actually fairly mobile shooting, Mr. Howard Watts. So how did you feel that your mobile shooting played out on this? Did you feel like you were as advantaged as Peyton says you were?
2: So
3: this is like my first time playing GW terrain and I was not used to the big templates. So especially when they come to like a really sharp point that gives you very initially very small, uh, firing lines to shoot through. And, um, I can't, I can't remember if it was Peyton and I, or maybe it was me and somebody else were talking about kind of like the MVP of the weekend and stuff, but I had brought three Landspeeder Tornadoes, and the Move 16 to be able to move into an objective, or uh, rather move into a terrain feature and unlock that terrain feature to have true line of sight um, was huge. Um, the majority of my other stuff is just Dreadnoughts, and they, I mean, they Move 8, but once you kind of get to turn two and three, you're moving into terrain features and being able to unlock that line of sight. But yes, being able to move quickly was definitely an advantage.
0: So what sort of effect did that have on your game plan overall, the the GW terrain?
3: So I really initially just kind of went into it with the same same kind of mindset. Um, I have a game plan. Right, that game plan because Marine secondaries are a little bit pushed right now is uh March from a crack, which is a um an ultramarine specific one, uh in the same one as like banners and all that is a Shadow Ops one. Uh Codex Warfare, everybody knows what Codex Warfare does. Um I have I have a lot of heavy weapons in my list, right? So getting two points for each uh each kill and shooting. Um with heavy weapons is is not too difficult. And then also uh Oath a moment with the change for being in the middle, um, being being worth two points again, uh, which actually kinda synergized with the land speeder tornadoes. Um uh, the the earlier iteration of this list had uh hammer strikes which are, you know, fifty points more um you know, per model, right? So throwing hundred and twenty five points out in the middle of the field to just die the next turn. It's not quite as good as throwing seventy five points out there, so not only did the tornadoes unlock the have the speed to unlock some of the terrain features for shooting, they also kind of synergize with my uh, secondary choices as well.
4: Did you find that you used them more for that trading piece or for the for that points generation word
3: um so on the first map, like with it being scouring it, like the objectives are so condensed anyway, I was like, my whole army's gonna be on the middle of the table, so uh, for the scouring, I did. I, I more used them for what they are. Right, um, redeployed them because I got first turn. I was able to push them around the flanks, uh, and was able to use that speed to um, kind of unlock some of the uh, some of the terrain features and get uh, shots on the um, some Votem bikes and some other gr- little gribblies that were uh, behind the terrain features, not in cover. Um, the second map. You're going to have to remind me. I can't quite remember what it the
0: was. The second game was bombs.
3: Right. So bombs, um, very much the same thing with there being a central objective. Um, I'm going to be moving toward the middle of the table anyway. Uh, a lot of times, like the speeders or the infiltrator, or eliminators rather, that I use are really shine on, on maps like like data scratch salvage where there's not a central objective, right? So you're not necessarily staging in the middle um, on an objective because it's not there, right? So having something that can either move, shoot, move, uh, you know, advance, uh, move, shoot, or, or just have move 16 and can just, with the fly keyword, just hide behind a ruin and just jump out, get its shots and score two points, like, um, it, it Tornadoes, I think, are just generally fantastic for their points, but there's a lot of synergies uh, within the Space Marine Codex for secondaries, um, and I just tried to to either use them uh, to put them in the middle for oath oh, moment uh, on like turns one or uh, on a, um, maps that didn't have a centralized objective, or uh, using them for their speed. Like I said, to get to unlock terrain features to have those shooting lanes.
0: So, did you... Uh, Peyton said that he made quite a few different adjustments to his list to account for things like Dark Angel Terminators. Was there anything that you did in yours to, to account for that?
3: So, and actually Peyton and I talked about this at length too. Um, so Ultramarines have syllaboth, right? So it's it's our literally don't leave home without it relic. Um, for those that may not know what it is, uh, syllaboth, um is a relic, so a character... Uh, it it projects a six inch aura, right? So any core or character um, units within six can reroll all of their hits and all of their wounds against whatever um, unit uh, or individual model or whatever um, that I pick at the beginning of um, at the beginning of the battle after I know who goes first. Uh, so in my head, I was thinking, well, going against uh, Dark Angel Terminators, I can use that to potentially kill terminators a little bit more efficiently than other armies that don't have that, um, that amount of rerolling wounds. Um, and then also this is more of a, it just came out and I like really wanted to kind of hobby it up and get it on the table. I did have, um, a brutalis dreadnought with the talons, right? So that base has five attacks, so six attacks on the charge, you can always mount a heroes it to have seven. Um I mean you're gonna be hitting on 3s rerolling everything with Gilliman. Um and then it's rerolling rolling wounds, so on seven attacks you're getting five or six. Um six is probably being a little bit <laughs> a little bit aggressive in my estimate, but I mean you're getting five or six wounds that it's it's D three plus three damage, so even if they do have um an apothecary like you're likely min four damage you're not saving it you're not saving very many terminators um on that so having having that and ha- just having melta that sure i can only wound you on a four but every time i wound you if i'm in half range it's and you and you fail your save like it's just a dead terminator um i think it's just more of an all-comers uh approach that i think because of my faction, I have just the opportunity to have a little bit more efficient shooting into it.
0: So you relied on your overall efficiency and your strong secondaries. Peyton relied on his strong secondaries and Mortal Wound Guns. Uh, Don, you're also playing a faction that has Mortal Wound Guns, but uh, you just got hammered with that Nerf Bat. Uh, so i I think it's fair to say that you probably felt pretty disadvantaged going into this event. Um, sure.
4: You know, and, and probably most, most clown players, you know, rely on their, their depth of skill to carry them through. I don't have that. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I relied on, on my teammates <laughs> and, and the experience that we have around the table, right. To help me build a, a really strong list that like Peyton said, kind of caters to the terrain. Like I had a fast gun line, um, I had high AP and and high damage shooting to to deal with like terminators and and knights and and chonky, stupid things that are hard for elves to kill. Um, and I had thought about the process of you know like how how we utilize this terrain. Um, admittedly, did not understand it on the level that clearly Ward and Payton did. Um, but this was my first event on GW terrain. I'd had three or four practice games into it. Um, some of those were more educational than others, as, as some, you know, some games are and some aren't. Um, yeah, so there was, a, there was a steep learning curve coming into this event.
0: Yeah, I, I completely understand, buddy. I was in the same boat you were in. I had put it on TTS and, and got maybe two reps um, playing against one of my buddies. So I had no idea what I was walking into. Uh, but you did mention Knights earlier, and you had a bit of a banger of a game against Knights there for a bit, didn't you?
4: Yeah, no, it, it, it started off really good. Um, I felt like I deployed really strong and that, that Geordi got first turn. He, he couldn't activate on anything, right? Like even with that, that huge 12 or, or 14 inch movement it is with his, with his bondsman traits, he couldn't get an activation on, on any targets, which I was, I was stoked with. Right. Uh, but he did get first turn, which is, leaves me disadvantaged right out the gate. Um, he moved out really aggressively uh i took that as my go turn and i pushed out to to really cut the the forces down that i was dealing with right i i spent um five cp uh maybe six at that point which was every cp i had in the bucket um dropped a bunch of troops out of transports uh um, went go turn with all the fusion pistols all the you know all the neuro disruptors which unfortunately don't mortals on vehicles so that's a big kick in the nards but whatever um and then we threw in into our charges with our our mortal wound strats and and all that jazz um unfortunately maybe i got a bad batch of event dice or maybe i just not not good at rolling dice like you know it's debatable um rolled really really cold uh, and Jordy rolled super duper hot, so my go turn went absolutely nowhere. Whereas in my math, I feel like average, I pick up the four knights I engaged on. I probably should have not split my attacks and positioned more intelligently, and engaged on three and picked them up instead of leaving five knights at three or five wounds. Um, and as you can well imagine, uh, in that scenario, when when you've positioned poorly. With with GW terrain, which which segue back for a second, GW terrain gives you fantastic coverage until you touch that terrain piece, in which case right. it gives yeah. you none. Um, so it's a really it's a real like flip of the coin of like I am totally safe or now I'm dead, uh, right? And and that was the point of um, the coin flipped from being totally safe to being completely dead, and my army evaporated. I
0: understand um, that is the thing. Yeah. Well, so is is Knights really just that bad for Harlequin's Peyton, you also play clowns? Uh, is Knights really just I mean, is it the worst matchup for clowns? So,
1: I don't think it's the worst matchup, but it is definitely up there. Um, there is a the anti-tank weapons in clowns is extremely volatile and unreliable, uh, combined with how much damage two there is in the codex. The, well, the abundance of minus 1 damage and, uh, in fights is extremely brutal. Combine that with somewhere between 7 and 10, move 14, counters 5 object models, when you are a faction that wants to trade objectives with people inside transports, they trade objectives better than you, um, makes the matchup incredibly challenging.
0: Sounds like a suboptimal situation to find yourself in.
4: It felt that way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I'm uh, interested to
3: see what his the loadout on his um, his big knight
4: was to see if that was impactful. I, I um it could have been more impactful Ward if he hadn't have just completely wiped my army out in turn in his turn two with all of his armatures um, and then his big knight just got to like play cleanup on my couple hard hitting characters that. You know, did so much work through the rest of the weekend, so I'm not gonna talk too much smack on him. But they were just on siesta that game, I guess. I don't know. They did nothing. Uh listen, uh, it's because Geordie's army's gorgeous, right? It was. Uh, the LEDs stunned them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's, he's got all those marker lights on his Mandalorian nights. Well but
3: in well, in having played against Harlequins with I wouldn't call it that similar of a list like but having like run dreadnoughts into harlequins they can just whiff because one the range is incredibly small like you like they're extremely short range you know and it's like if if you can see it kind of coming i mean it's six inch range so if if one or two halverins is is about to get blapped you can rotate one for a four up in and you can transhuman the other so i mean it's it's just literally cutting that efficiency down each each time those shots are coming in so
4: it certainly is yeah he did exactly that to me ward yeah um and it it was rough because as you mentioned the guns are so short range that you 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 pigeonhole yourself like you have to right like you have to commit on these targets right and into an army like that he's just like well you committed so i mean here you go yeah, and, uh, and, and you can always, like, it's just so swingy, right? Melta, you got to love it when it works, but when you roll that one, you're like, oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, it, Ward hit it up the nail on the head, right? Like, if you, you go in with Melta's, right, and your whole damage basis is Melta. Um, so I fired 12, I think, fusion pistols into into those uh, armatures, into an assortment of armatures that round. Um, three of them actually went to the wound phase. All three of those did less than four damage. Um, and when you have minus one damage, that four goes to a three, the three goes to a two. Uh, it's like you didn't even touch them. And and it's and you, your go turn goes from picking up three knights to picking up nothing. Um, and that's essentially the game,
0: right? Like, And then the very next round, you find yourself staring down the barrel of another super adorable army in Death Guard.
4: Yeah, no, exactly. Death Guard with Mortarian on the table, which was pretty intimidating for me. Uh, I've never played it with this this style of a list. The only time I played into Mortarian was with um, ultra-pushed Psychic Tyranids, so, so my perception on his durability is um, skewed, we could say. Uh, but yeah, going into that matchup was pretty concerning. The whole army's minus one damage. Um, my whole army is basically two damage. Uh, that's bad. Some things that I do have in my favor in that matchup are just extreme maneuverability. I just outmove everything to the nth degree. Like, you can't even begin to keep up. Uh, the only thing that comes near touching me is the the flotilla barge of bloatwing thingies. I don't know, whatever. Um, and being able to just catapult a couple characters into the center line, turn one, um, Kind of giving them the old salute and send them on their way to die uh, was huge, right? Like it, it picks up centerpiece um, support characters from the Death Guard army, the the Plaguecaster, the Tallymaster, things like that. Um, gets rid of those key units that are really building the the interaction between his forces, right? Um, and then from there, try and screen out the handful of fast moving units and just live long enough to gain points. I don't know.
0: So it sounds like you were quite a bit more precise with your movement in this game than you were in the uh, in the game for US. you. Stuff admittedly just got blapped on Jordy's turn, too.
4: Yeah, I, I learned... You know, I might not be the brightest dude around, but uh, I do learn pretty quick. Um, and especially when you receive a spanking of that caliber, I think that it kind of sticks in your mind a little, right? Like, you're like, that's not happening again. Absolutely. Uh, so, do you think that... With your
0: speed on this terrain set, because uh, going back to Peyton's earlier comment about uh, fast shooting armies are advantaged, uh, you were able to leverage the fact that you were faster and just use the guns. I mean, you could be everywhere, right? But Death Guard has the ability to just
4: live at you. So, so in that in that matchup, you really have to commit um, and. You have to be cagey about your commitment, because the the Meltos aren't your key point, right? Like, Meltos are great there, but nothing in that army, not much in that army, is greater than three wounds. So, screw it. Everything's minus one damage. Who cares? Just just throw all of the shots at something. Um, part of his points generation was based explicitly on poxwalkers. Uh, so, one of my first turn maneuvers was to just throw a couple boats into one of those units, and then... The boat that survived just I chucked across the board into the other unit, and just just eliminated the secondary basically from the game. Um, and being able to do that it essentially gives me a fifteen point advantage, right? Like right off the gate, like you, you're not going to get the secondary. Um, and being able to to know that and just recognize it, then you can. Concentrate more on what's important, and like I don't need to max all three of these secondaries. I need to get 40 on my primary and 40 on secondary, and I'm going to pull this game. Um, and you can you can really kind of change and reevaluate like where you're scoring those points and what you need to stop as far as their points generation. And and at that point, I just I controlled primary um, and canceled out Mortarian's effectiveness and just picked up what I could like I I didn't focus on trading at all I just focused on points generation and limiting his effectiveness and by turn 4 or 5 um, gotten 25ish or something on primary and almost nothing on secondary and so it just it's it's just a game of controlling the points right like I don't need to kill you I don't I don't care if you live I'm just going to control these points and Part of that is is learning from the previous experiences of, of the, the two losses before that. And, and part of it is just recognizing that the matchup advantages, right? Like, knights are super durable and hard to kill, but they also move 14 and take all the objectives. Death Guard's super durable and hard to kill, but I can control the entire pacing of the game, and I just need to do
0: that. So going back to the assumptions that we're making based on the player pack and the train setup, um... The comment that aggressive melee armies were disadvantaged—I did notice when I was going over the results that Ward, you played into world leaders, and uh, did that assumption bear out that uh, aggressive melee armies were disadvantaged?
3: Um, well, so we actually talked about this at launch. Um, one, the the primary uh, conversation was what do I put Seal of Oath on because since Angron is a although he can kill anything he touches, he, he equally dies in turn. It, you know, I was like, well, I can get a lot of value using that if it keeps coming back, or I could put it on something else. Um. So any... I can't remember what's called. Brass? Scorpion? No, it's not Scorpion. Lord of Skulls. Lord of Skulls. Uh, so, so I ended up putting it on the Lord of Skulls. And, you know, after that, I mean, with defensive focus, like, I... I'm uniquely um, advantaged into most Marine armies um, unless you can turn off overwatch. Um, you got you to gotta charge me and everything's going to be within six inches of each other. So um, I ended up doing a large number of um, wounds to on, um on the way in. Uh, and I think the only thing that I'd given him um, was like a speeder. So he whacks the speeder, uh, uh, you know, but it, the, the terrain layout on that, like the, the objectives were pretty well in the open, like you were either on the terrain feature in front of a ruin moving to like toward, um, toward one of the objectives or you were right out in the open on the objectives, uh, and the world leaders, although when they make it into combat, dude, they, they slap. But when you have to, and it was abandoned sanctuaries, so when you're walking 24 inches across the board or 12 inches to the objective out in the open in front of a gun-line army, uh, that also punches pretty good too with its dreadnoughts and with Gilliman. And uh, it was it was really just kind of a shooting gallery. Like, I, I felt bad because the guy was a great player. I mean, like, he, he managed to make it to... Um, there's three wins and one tie, so I mean, effectively undefeated, um, and having not had really any um, experience in the World Eaters, I was like, I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. But of course, you know, it's a meme for us. Like, I don't know how the the matchup goes, and I think that I'm like disadvantaged, and then I score 100 points. So,
0: right? Do you do you think that that matchup plays out any differently? on a different terrain layout. Was the final score influenced almost entirely by it being GW on abandoned sanctuaries where all four of those, you know, the the main objectives, all five of them were sitting in the open. Uh, Do you think that looks different on a different print pack or is that um, just the, just the way this one plays out?
3: So um, I think it would, I I really do think it would have been different. Um, The, Basically, my first turn was redeploy, use still of oath to kill the Lord of Skulls, right? And, I mean, it can't be obscured anyway, and it's a huge model. So, I, it, I don't think in that sense it would have mattered what, ter- what terrain layout it was unless there was obviously like a huge, you know, eight, nine inches tall, you know, L-shaped, you know, ruin that it could literally not have true line of sight um, to actually be able to see to shoot it. But... Um, I mean, oh, you know the another thing that was absolutely ridiculous about World Eaters, and and he was not having a good time, as as in like, his models were just dying and dying and dying. But that dude still scored forty points on secondaries. Yeah, their
4: secondaries are just to give me, like, man, it was nuts you just need blood tithe points and you get 15 on one of them. Like it's, it's crazy. You get another one just for dying near an objective or killing things near an objective. I think, um, their, their secondaries are quite nearly an auto 35 to 40. And he was spinning blood tithe points
3: to bring anger on back. He was spinning blood tithe points to get, um, again if it's, I can't remember if it's two for three or three for three, whatever the conversion is, but so man, I think it's five this for three? Score 15 on, at whatever it was, I was like, man, this dude's going to get a 15 on Blood for the Blood God, or a Pile mm-hmm. of Skulls. I think it's Pile of Skulls is that one. But it And it's like, man, with with the number of units that we had between us, Like and he was killing my vehicles. I mean, because that's the majority of my list. So, I mean, he took Bring It Down and, and and killed the majority of my stuff. and Or not Bring It Down, no,
4: he took all the World Eater ones. Blood Tithe, or uh, Pile of Skulls. But one of them is essentially kill things. Yeah. Like, you get points for killing enemy units or for dying. And it, yeah, right. and it was... So it's like, it's bring it down or no prisoners, but, but on both ends. Like, I threw something at you, I kill you, I get a point. You kill me, I get another point. It happened on an objective, I get an extra point for right. ejection. Ha <laughs> ha! Well, and, and even, like, and it was almost like a
3: triumphant moment for me when I ended up killing his Lord of Skulls. But he's like, cool, I get two blood tides because it's a Titanic vehicle. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like... Anyways, um, kind of to go, on a tangent, kind of go back to what the question was. I, I think if there's a little bit more um, like ruins where he could kind of uh, move up or advance, or um, you know, if if I don't kill the corn berserker units that he had, right, and they roll a six, all of a sudden they're moving in um, behind cover, right? As long as it's toward the nearest. Um, the nearest unit but i mean he could have he could have easily lined that up um and
4: so ward with with to talk about like how the terrain differential might be we we generally play into a lot of first four line of sight blocks right um and maybe the lord of skulls doesn't benefit for that but how do you feel about the rest of that army into a board that's heavy with first four line of line of sight blocks? uh is that a different Oh, yeah, I you? mean, it'd be
3: terrifying. Um, and I know a lot of the lists online have been running kind of like heavy, uh, what's it called, Exalted 8-Bound or 8-Bound?
0: Yeah, the Exalted 8-Bound.
3: Yeah, and, like, I know that those guys are even more so, um, like, slapping combat. So, I mean, and granted, it, it, not t- like, taking into account the terrain, uh, and if it was a little bit more dense um, or not GW terrain, um, and it wasn't an abandoned sanctuary. If he was in Valkadis, not on abandoned sanctuary, and they got to move his entire army or however many units you get to move up. That's two. Like moving up two melee units, then just, oh, I get to take my turn now. And then all of a sudden, now not only am I contending with a Lord of Skulls and, um, you know, other stuff like that, it's, it's also, I have like melee in my face pinning me in my deployment, uh, turn one. So like that would, that would be very scary for sure.
0: You mentioned leveraging your redeploy on this map specifically. Uh, did you really have to lean on your redeploy on GW train?
3: So in, in, in my first game, I did for sure. Um, I was playing against Votan and actually I was playing against John Montgomery and that is not somebody you want to see on the first-round pairings. Uh, <laughs> I remember when it went up, and I was like, oh, my God, I got Big John. Like, And we know this because, we one, we're from Arkansas, and we've come to play at Centaur before, but he has he has thoroughly put me through the paces He's with the armies. And he has beaten me a number of times. I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know anything about Votan, and John's a good player, so I'm about to get slapped um fortunately i was able to get the first turn um and the invictors kind of sh- sh- like showed their you know their s tier um rating in my book for ultramarines because i was able to start 9 inches away from his deployment zone and i was able to move 10 inches into his, his deployment zone um his bikes with their pregame move weren't able to to get away from me um because of the t- because of the terrain the moment you walk into the template, like, everything opens up. So I was like, oh, wait, I have huge line of sights with my evictors. Um So I had deployed defensively with my other assets, uh, tornadoes and eliminators, um, all my dreadnoughts and stuff. I was like, well, I can't just get shot by a Hecaton land fortress um, because at that time I thought that was really the only shooting threat that Votan had. Boy, was I wrong. Um, yeah, come to find out. Yeah, come to find out. Yeah, that's no doubt. Um, so actually, when I re- when I redeployed, I just put literally, and it was scouring, so keep in mind, like, all the objectives are super condensed. I'm like, I'm spending six CP, or four, rather. I'm redeploying six units. I picked all four of my Dreadnoughts up, and, like, a couple of the characters that have command phase, um like six inch or three inch restricted buffs. So it's like cool these guys are gonna be right next to the dreads so that Tiger's can hand out a minus one so that one of the dreads can hand out a plus one to hit uh or the Techman can handle a plus one hit to the dreads. And cool. And I'm just gonna jam everything up the middle. Um game two was uh was against demons. Uh I had second turn against demons so uh I was really kinda of scared that um he would end up getting like a long charge off with his, with his blood letters and, and killing my infiltrators. So I I just redeployed them back uh, to safety and kind of conceded the board and was like, well, I got to make a a play for March for McCrag, uh, in turn four or five, right? That's, you know, I'm just going to take a mental break from March for McCrag, um, on the first, first, uh, second, and third turn, and then try to make a play four and five because it has end game scoring as well. Um, so really leaned into kind of like like aggressively deploying my assets forward. Oh, I didn't get to go first. Pull those and pull the Invictors back. Um, <clears throat> turn three was in into emissary custodies. So we actually kind of had a an interesting. And actually, I, and I didn't mean to interrupt Peyton because he was in a I believe round three. He was playing Brant, and that was a very uh, it looked like very serious when I walked up, but uh, they were gracious enough to help me with the um, the ruling on who has to redeploy first. As soon as I redeployed, um, first, because I had the first turn, but then he was able to hide everything except for one unit of Virtus um, Praetors, which I was able to seal and then uh, subsequently kill, so being able to redeploy or counter redeploy uh and get, get guns online with something like Seal of Oath, um it, in the custody matchup and taking those, you know, D three plus three Meltas, um Sava launchers off the table, it's a it's a big deal. Um round four was against Brent. Um the redeploy is always um always really important, uh in uh, and I think in the demon matchup, particularly if you're if you're playing um, any number of Invictors and in Ultramarines, because you're putting them on the line. Like you, you, this is this is your opportunity to. Excuse me. This is your opportunity. So I have a question.
4: Sure. Do you think that you'd be more advantaged into that dreaded demon matchup if you switched off your your babies, your your favored sons, and you played a different Marine chapter? Um, I, I really. <laughs> I know it's heresy. I, don't yeah. shoot me. I'm just asking. Like I really don't know. Um
3: and I and, and I don't know anything about uh Space Wolves or Dark Angels, like any of the quote, non codex compliant chapters, so um the majority of my stuff would be yeah, all the good ones. Um so the thing is, like in a full Zinch army, like you need to you need to make it into melee, right? Like you need to have stuff that can go across the board and make it into melee, like I think depending on the terrain layout or density, right, I think White Scars probably would have a pretty decent shot into something like Zinged Demons as long as they don't just get,
4: you know, flamered off the table or whatever, um, or if they're able. Well, they have access to the advance and shoot, right, as oh, well yeah. as the advance the and charge? Else. Yeah, so it's like... Right, so they could they could predictably do two phases of reliable damage into two well, different let's, ways? Let's be fair, right? Ideas?
0: The 3-up demon save makes nothing in
4: shooting reliable. As reliable as you can get into a 3-up demon save. Alright, right, whatever. But the, but the important thing, I, I believe,
3: to to take from that comment is that you are roughly as fast, you're not as fast, like, the flamers are, got you by uh, four inches, I think, on their base movement, but well, no, because you're you'd have jump packs and stuff. I mean, like you're as fast, if not faster, um, with like Vanguard Vets or, or whatever assets you're bringing in a in a White Scars list. I just don't think White Scars are as good into the to the rest of the field. It's it's one of those dichotomies where it's like I can kill this really good meta army, but if I don't run into that meta army, I'm going to lose to the field and never play that higher performing. Meta army. Um,
1: exactly. But. Something I kind of want to interject here is um, I've seen a lot of people confused about how Zinch, Mono Zinch, demons is doing really well. Specifically in this format, they are in this perfect counter-meta place of right now in Arch of Omen. Uh, good gun lines are king, and just having that three up uh, demon save against guns is a huge profile. Is a huge advantage that not to mention because of how mobile and fast it is it performs exceedingly well on gw terrain um, and its secondary scoring is really really good so i this mono's inch demon build is a really good counter meta pick right now because the melee specific armies are are suffering a little bit so your natural predators are not really there
4: so what you're saying is is as long as you can avoid those disadvantaged matchups in, like, round one or two, really, you're not likely to see it. Exactly. Sure. Um, and and it takes advantage of the three-up demon save to counter the heavy shooting that's coming in from, like, the Iron Hands, um, Guard, etc., right? Um, you're using your mobility to take advantage of the lack of mobility and the, like, heavy melee threats, like Space Wolves, World Eaters. Um, even white scars, to an extent, right? With with their limited access to to that heavy D three damage or three up damage, right? Like even with the advance in charge, um, it's not until assault doctrine that they can reliably get D three weapons, right? And you also have to right. take
3: into account like the the secondaries that demons have too, right? Because if you want to compare um, one army's strengths and weaknesses to the other, right, you ser- most certainly need to talk about the secondaries and with reality uh with reality rebels and and despoilers and um I can't remember what the other one they usually take but demons have a good like suite of secondaries that they can take to keep them competitive in any matchup um so I, 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 just, I just think that even even their if you even their quote disadvantaged matchups aren't as bad as um like peyton and i call it like uh this is like a 25 percenter this is a 30 percenter a 40 percenter right i think demons are able to even in their worst matchups keep it to a 40 to 45 or coin
4: flip um matchup for sure uh particularly if they can rely on on a depth of player skill and experience going back around
0: uh, since we were talking about how important redeploying was in the Ultramarines in those games. G-Sailor Cult's entire game is deployment, basically. So, Peyton, how exactly did you find GSC and all of their deployment shenanigans on GW Train specifically?
1: Um, it was interesting. Um, being able to use blips to either be inside the tr- simultaneously during. so. This is going to sound a little weird uh, when I go in the description, but how I deploy the blips uh, is I'm planning on going second and deploying the blips so that on co- on the edges of of the terrain piece itself that it could be simultaneously inside and outside the deployment depending on whether right, I'm because going inside the train prevents the
0: blip from being inside the wall right
1: right so I can deploy on either inside the wall or behind it depending on whether I'm going first or second, which gives uh me a huge advantage on the deployment um, because I don't have to, like what we're talking about, the advantage of being able to redeploy. Um, you don't have to deploy cautiously because you don't know whether you're going first in the gun line or not. Um, I can deploy so that I both have the advantage of going first, and if I end up going second, I'm able to deploy behind the 12-inch the template and be perfectly safe. Um, combining that with an actual redeploy mechanic inside with one of the stratagems, where you can redeploy two blips that were deployed aggressively to keep opponents off of you, and the Gene Stealers' free move um, when they reveal, and I had a character with uh, every angle. So when his blip was revealed, he could choose to go back to strategic reserves. There was a lot of ways I could, I was able to counter my opponent's deployment and turn one with being able to in deploying my own actual models. Okay.
0: So we're going to go once more around the panel and uh, everybody's going to give me their biggest takeaway from GW Terrain okay so we're going to start with ward um so
3: haven't like this haven't been like my first uh two day event um on GW terrain like i i had played games into it rtt games right but like let's be honest you go to an RTT to kind of workshop some of the stuff you're working on, uh, or, or you might take something a little bit uh, a little bit more fun, or, um, or or ultimately you're just testing stuff, right? So like you're not really getting into the nuances of the terrain set. Um, however, after the event, it 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 really made me think about, and Peyton can talk to, talk to this like. When we got done with our our uh, one of our super majors we attended last year at Flying Monkey Con, I really felt the lack of speed. Like I needed units to have speed with with quality shooting attached to it. Um, obviously back then you you didn't have the free reserves, so you couldn't just put stuff into reserves and uh, come in on 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 the board edges and get angles right, but I I was like, man, I like really needed some like, like a speeders, you know, or, or, or something like that to be able to move into the terrain or interact with these different terrain features. Um, and that really showed in the, in the games workshop, um, uh, terrain set, right. I, I was able to get into combat. I or rather not get into combat. I was able to, to move within terrain features to open up whole swathes of the board for shooting lanes and i was able to then you know interact with this uh the guys trying to hide behind objectives right whether it be forward deploying with the invictors which i count as being a lot faster than they are um although 10 is not slow being able to forward deploy and take angles to take really aggressive angles and stuff that normally I mean, I don't think there's any other army in the game that has something quite like Invictors that can redeploy. I think that's pretty well specific to Ultramarines uh, and to the shooting platform it is. But being able to have that and have speeders and be able to um, ed, uh, leverage those to be able to get uh, shooting lanes and um, you know unlock the, the big templates – uh, was was my biggest takeaway because normally you don't have those big those big plates. Like you, what you see is what you get for terrain, and and either you can draw those lines or you can't. Um, but when you unlock a huge really huge plate, um,
0: your your shooting lanes become massive. Yeah, from the bottom of my orc heart, invictors can die in a fire. Moving on, Peyton, <laughs> you love them.
1: Yeah. So- the biggest thing I took away was I knew going in that speed was going to be mandatory, but I uh, what I really hadn't considered enough was the level of durability you needed to hold objectives because there isn't way on the majority of these maps, there was very, very, very open midfield objectives. Um, it was where you were not able to hide your hide your models. Um, there you were just in the open. Ah, uh, getting attacked, and with a mortality of 40k right now, you have to play either a multitude of units on an objective to hold it, or very, very tough units. So that was one of the big things to take away for me was a balance of speed and durability in an army to be able to hold objective, be able to shoot properly, and hold objectives in GW format.
0: Okay, and Don, what was your major cool. takeaway from GW train?
4: I just, I mean. Peyton, Ward, I think Brent too said it throughout the like week and a half, two weeks of us like hard prepping as a team to try and go to this event. It's simultaneously so much more and so much less obscuring terrain than what you're used to, right? And it's so hard to really wrap your mind about around that until you've gotten like three to five consecutive games into it. Because you deploy and you're like, ah, I'm safe. Nobody can see me. And then you move a quarter of an inch, and now the entire map is visible to you, and you are visible to it. And that's a crazy dichotomy that is not present in many other terrain formats.
0: Yeah, that one definitely takes a little bit of getting used to. Okay, well, we're going to wrap up Section 1 right there. Please stay tuned for Section 2. Now, we all know it's hard to stay healthy on event weekends, but you're in your life every day. Here's Ben to tell us about how being healthy can help your wind rate. You should listen to him. He plays dwarves and dwarves are natural sprinters.
2: This is touching grass with Ben. Where I, Ben, sit down and talk to you about the importance of physical fitness in 40k. This week I'm going to focus on how physical fitness before and after and during really uh, a tournament can help improve your personal standing. Um, there's been plenty of studies done specifically with uh, esports and with chess players to show that physical fitness is a key way of increasing your uh, playability and functionality at a tournament or uh, at a uh, just really just in regular playing Um The first study that I looked at um, says that it increased increased their concentration uh, by 33% and it reduced their anxiety levels by 43%. Um, It also uh, revealed it uplifted their gamers uh, just general mentality going from a more negative mindset um, to a more positive mindset by almost 20%. So you may be asking yourself, what is exercise actually doing uh, to improve my mental capabilities at 40K? And the big thing is, is it stimulates cell growth in the brain and rapidly increases blood flow to the hippocampus and prefrontal cortex, uh, which is a part of your skull, obviously part of your brain. And those mechanisms that enable us to better retain memories, process information, and problem solves quickly. Um, Imagine yourself, you're sitting at a table and obviously someone does um, moves moves their models in a space that you were not. Expecting them to, or pulls out a stratagem that you were not expecting to. Being able to rapidly respond to that change in game state can come from the ability of having uh, your brain fully functioning. Um, And so, any any kind of small gains that we can get, whether that's uh, exercising outside, taking a break during the the lunch period of uh, game one between game one and game two at a GT or whatever it is, um, can help retain uh, that initial focus that you have going into the game at first um there is uh the the brain is this is really an interesting fact that i found um the the brain only makes up two percent of your weight um but it uses twenty percent of your energy uh, while your muscles uh, make up forty percent of your weight and are using uh the same amount uh, when they're not actually exercising. So you're, if you're sitting static, your brain is using the same amount of energy as your muscles while being only 2% of your total body weight. Um, now increase this and, in, or now put your brain in a situation where it's having to function like a muscle, uh, thinking, thinking quickly, critical thinking, all that good stuff. Uh, it is now, uh, it is now producing your body. Your body f- goes into a, uh, a state of cardio, essentially like your, your heart rate elevates, your blood pressure skyrockets. Um, and doctors have said that it, uh, it, you burn roughly 560 calories sitting and playing chess, um, over the course of two hours. And that is the same amount that Roger Federer would burn in a, in a one hour tennis competition. Um, now essentially the, the main thing that really kind of got this for me was the Norway's Magnus Carlsen. Um, he has implemented a, um, a very strict diet and workout routine in order to in order to be the best of who we all know is at least i assumedly know is the best uh chess player in the world the best grandmaster of chess in the world um so what he does uh routinely during either during tournaments or really every day um he clears his mind with uh to strengthen his core. And he practices yoga for roughly 20 minutes at tournaments. He drinks semi chocolate milk, uh, to feed his brain and body, the protein and the potassium and calcium and the right amount of sugars for a steady supply of energy throughout the day. And he optimizes sitting to reduce stress and increase alertness as the game hours pile up and his opponents start to fade out. Um, Here's a direct quote from what Carlson has said. Um, it says, "These long tournaments are quite tiring, and long games are very tiring, especially at the end. If you are in good shape and can keep your concentration, you'll be one. You'll be the one who will profit from your opponent's mistakes. Uh, games are lost or won in the final hours due to mistakes caused by fatigue. Um, so, if you, ways that you can." go about this. Uh, like I said earlier, is you can be taking the lunch break between game one and game two, or even just a quick walk between game two and game three, and even putting the clock on yourself, going outside getting some fresh air. Um, I personally, because I, I'm, I run a ton. I run an obscene amount of miles. Um, I go, actually go on a run during the lunch break. I order my food. I go out, hit three or four miles, whatever it is, come back, uh, eat my food while we're setting up terrain or starting the next, uh, objective, the next mission. Um, and so even if, even if you're not in shape like I am, like no big deal, um, one, you can always get there, uh, whether that's, it's essentially you shoot for 150 hours a week, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually only 30 minutes a day. I think that's how the math goes out. I'm really bad at math. So someone correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it's roughly 30 minutes a day of just mild to moderate exercise, whether that's walking, jogging, lifting weights, anything that can increase your mental capacity and sharpness and just general overall health and allow your brain to work in a better more efficient way uh, while you're playing the game of 40k because we all know marginal gains make a big difference if we can uh, keep our stats strats straight if we can keep our initial game plan upright and out front and then we cannot get distracted by things that our opponent aren't necessarily doing and we're able to respond quickly to what our opponent is actually doing in the game state, we can, towards the end of the tournament, uh, game 3, game 4, game 5, whatever it is, even game 6, game 8, if you're going to some FLG or WTC events, uh, you can still be thinking clearly and, and not... Uh, losing focus and losing out on small gains that you can have in order to score those extra one, two, three points that you may need to flip an 81-83 game to an 84-83 game. Uh, So this has been your first Touching Grass with Ben and I hope you enjoyed it.
0: And welcome back to part three of the Core Keyword Podcast. So 10th edition is almost upon us. Uh, The rumors are that they could be doing a live play uh, kind of showcase of some of the rules and stuff here in the next month. Um, And that is a really impressive and aggressive timeline to to try to be getting this out, I think. Uh, It points to kind of an early summer release if they're going that hard on the rules this early. Uh, And GW really seems to be leaning into uh, a literary concept called Show Don't Tell with with 10th edition right so if you look back at the last several codexes uh world leaders guard uh, and to a certain extent demons there have been a lot of things in those that we can point at and kind of project forward into 10th edition like moving the uh, regiment keywords out of the sub factions and guard and moving them onto the data sheets and being more archetype driven with born soldiers and mechanized infantry. And then in the world leaders book specifically taking them down to where you have a single data sheet set uh, for the army. That's a two page spread. And that they are separate between the different uh, army archetypes, which tends to feel again like they're leaning into more of an archetypal uh, army construction set. So, do we expect to see stratagems on the data sheets? Uh, very Sigmar-ish. The, the, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to that. Sigmar's rule set looks a lot better to me in, in certain instances. Their their data sheets are a hell of a lot prettier, for one. I don't know. Uh, Peyton, what you got, man?
1: Yeah, so looking at forward at 10th, seeing the, the simplification of the stratagems and the chapter rules uh, something I'm pretty excited for. Um, I am skeptically optimistic of Index Hammer. Um, I remember the back in the day of Abaddon and 120 Cultists. I remember back in the day the horrors of Razor uh, um, Yeah, uh, I was there for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I do know that Trying to balance a thousand plus data sheets at the same time is uh, definitely a challenge, especially with no special rules to help balance out the weirder ones. Um, But in general, I'm skeptically optimistic and very interested to see how they balance these archetypes. Um, I very much like the moving to a more ALS style rule set. I really like the rule set AOS has. I have one major hangup uh, in the double turn that's really kept me from playing that in any form of competitive fashion. But outside of that, I really like the rule set. And so moving more towards that, more towards a uniform rule set, has me really excited.
0: We have a really interesting mix here this evening because you and I have been through Index Hammer before, right? We've been through this. Uh, Ward has been through an addition change. Don, you haven't seen an addition change before, my guy. How are you
4: doing? I'm skeptically (laughs) trepidatious. Uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, no, um, I pulled out my thesaurus, so, you know, it helps out. Um, no, I started my, my competitive adventures in Warhammer at at Shiloh last year. So last February, right. Would be my first real fourier into like active competitive play. So obviously all ninth edition, um, Dabbled in Age of Sigmar just just enough to like understand the core concepts. Um, I do like the streamlined like special special abilities being pulled from stratagems and put on data sheets. Right, like I, I don't think that we're gonna see just full on one to one stratagems to data sheet conversion, but I think we're gonna see a lot of those niche abilities translate over. Which I, I mean, feels like that's a good move, um, especially with the reduction in CP overall. Uh, that felt. That felt bad, that change for the the CP generation, right? When you lose, like, what, six or eight CP overall through the game. Um, Feels bad when a lot of your special skills are tied to those points. Um, But I'm worried that it takes away a lot of the uniqueness of of the game, right? Uh, Everybody has these same abilities. Everybody has access to the same ones all the time. You're not. Does that reduce decision points on what you utilize? That's kind of my concern.
3: Uh, Go off that. Like one th- thing I would really like to see limited in tenth edition, specifically about what Don just said is that I don't think every army needs access to a transhuman like effect yes, please, dear God, get rid of that just you
4: right just you right? No, I, it, <laughs> and i'm not
3: and i don't even I don't even need it to be me, right, but when every single faction has because that that I mean, it doesn't invalidate data sheets, but it it literally directly impacts how you're going to build your list and build your army. Because if you don't have stuff that can, you know, wound on a four, it's like, it, you know, or have like good reroll mechanics, like you just, well, I guess my, you know, all my plasma and all my stuff that's like strength 16 will wound this insert whatever data sheet on a on a four right and i mean like you're gonna fail half the time and that sucks
0: transhuman physiology is my number one rule to just sit just please get rid of it make it go away send it the way of the dodo i
1: don't want it anymore yeah so building uh just building on what we're saying is there in ninth edition specifically i can't recall if this happened in eighth edition is bad but they seem to go and release a new rule and then replicate it four or five times in the next books. So the best example I have for this was I was so pumped when Clowns finally uh, got their book this edition. There's a really cool mechanic. They're really the first faction that had access to Transhitmen in this edition. It was really, really cool mechanic. Obviously, they were overtuned, but I really liked that this like weird, uh, like, magic future-seeing army that, gave, that played tricks on the enemy was really, really, like, legitimately hard to hit because with, with capping modifiers, it was hard to replicate that. Then, in the next, like, four books, every single book replicated that ability. So it does take away from a lot of the uniqueness. I'm, that's something I'm hoping we can find a way, GW can find a way to do in this next edition, is give armies rules that makes, that feel like their army and not give it to everything.
4: I like specifically when it. And, and at the same time, not break the game with that, right? Like give you a unique rule that they don't give to everybody else that doesn't just make you the friggin' boogeyman of, of the map, right?
3: And I, I like specifically, like Peyton said, if you can even, like if you read any of the lore, harlequins and eldar are really really difficult to hit like so they should be right like and right i'm not a I, i'm not a game designer You're i'm not, I'm on not a game designer right i'm not advocating that i should be the one that makes these changes right but if you can take into account both of like the lore how they look on paper how they how you listen to them in books and how you hear them portrayed and can also then marry that with a rule set that reflects that, that has that uniqueness, I think you're only going to see it, people are going to be more interested in the game. Because you're going to have a unique player to your army. You're going to have stuff that lines up with the book you read two weeks, three weeks, you know, a couple
4: months ago. And like, oh man, this is like really cool. Well, not just that, word, But I think that's super healthy for like, the competitive meta, as well as the casual meta, right? Like, you can't force this variation in army construction without having a, a depth of, of opposition on the table, right? Like, things have to have uniqueness. Things have to have standout traits that make them difficult to play against and and to stand out from other armies. Otherwise, you, you end up with cookie-cutter builds, kind of like where we're seeing right now at the tail end of 9th of, of these really, really heavy mass fire gun lines um, with as much ap as they can manage through right um, because that cuts through the the ap negation that we're seeing on on a lot of armies and the damage negation that we're seeing on a lot of armies and and stacking those rerolls so that they can avoid those minus hit penalties and etc right that that all of the top armies are layering into their builds right now um and i think like you guys are saying forcing these unique traits and these unique unique aspects of different armies Forces more varied list construction, and a, and a wider depth of field that we're going to see on the table, right?
0: So broadly speaking, what we're about to go through is the uh, if you played Magic, it's going to feel like a like a block rotation um, because the way you sell product in in any live game like like this or you know Diablo or whatever is that you you slowly power creep until a season end and then you reset the power level and that feels like it sucks you know uh, but you make the sucking period as small as you can and that's what the indexes is for you know are for is to just reduce the suck that's why they're making the indexes free and then you're going to start getting codex releases again and then you going to start the hype cycle all over again um, which they've already actually started with the the new the new terminator models, right? You started the hype cycle all over again. So so they're starting on the on the build up again, they're starting on the feel good again. Um and we haven't even got to the part where it hurts yet. When you start looking at the data sheets, you know, and you see, oh, well, um the, all of the AP has reduced by a point or something, which is what we asked for eight months ago. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's It's going to be an interesting time, and if you haven't been through it before, uh, hold on to your butt, you know, (laughs) because it's a wild ride for a little while, Um, because when they release those indexes, it all comes at once, and so it is the wild, wild west, and everybody's trying to figure everything out, Um, and you've got armies that are walking around with 120 cultists, and you've got armies that are walking around with five shock attack guns, so you don't know what you're going to see on a day-to-day basis, if you happen to be in an event.
1: I will people on that same train of thought um, if you have not gone through Index Hammer before. Index Hammer, it will be an era of spam because they are removing special rules and stratagems and things that they've used to balance units that are in similar roles. So just the unit that is the most points efficient is all you will see generally an index hammer
0: yep you're going to see the best data sheet you can take and you're going to take as many
4: of it as you can and that's going to be even more exacerbated with the way that this list construction looks like right with um a lack of limitation to like the elite role or whatever i'm i still don't quite understand how this battlefield line scenario actually lines out is
1: so looking at this and comparing it to aos because it does look like we are moving towards an aos file set. Sure. How battle line functions is it's similar to the troop role, it's your required troop unit. Or required unit. In AOS at two thousand points, you're required to play three battle line models or battle line units. Is that and depending on what sub chapter you're playing and who your general is can affect who what your battle line is.
4: Okay. So that so kind of ties into how arcs of Omen is right now, right? Like where we can select it, except it's gonna be more tailored to what that detachment or leader is.
1: Right, so okay. um something like uh in marines the intercessor and the infiltrators will be battle line no matter what say there is a scout focused uh detachment and that will give scouts battle line as well and then after that there's no battlefield role so you just have to take your battle your three battle line units and then you can take whatever else you want
4: so seems like uh, no more limitation to well, let's let's call out mr mr papa smurf here um with his love of the Eternal Dreadnought, there's nothing to limit him then from taking whatever the prerequisite is of his X or Y detachment, um, and then just dropping in every frickin' Dreadnought he owns. Yeah?
1: Right. So the Rule 3 still applies, sure. it's the Rule 3 for non-Battleline. This is a key thing that I noticed uh, that will also will be kind of interesting. They said battle line is capped at six, so it's not infinite for data uh, over troop choices anymore, but things that gain the battle line keyword will go up to a cap of six units of that.
4: So, so, a, so no more rule of three for a battlefield a battle line unit then, similar to like troops are, right?
1: Right. Cool. Well cap is six. Cap of six now. The cap is double sure. for battle line. Uh, did
0: it, they double. did they also not cap dedicated transports at six? It is well.
1: Um but this could be really interesting for things like if there's a Blood Angel-style detachment, and let's, like, if you take Dante, maybe he makes Sanguinary Guard battle line, and all of a sudden you can take 60 Sanguinary Guard. Um, let's go.
4: <laughs> what's what's the thought process, then, for, for an army like Clowns? And I know we touched on this a little bit out of, out of the show, obviously, Peyton, but, uh, like, do we think that the detachment for clowns is just going to alter what that battle line is, since they're so troop and, and transport focused? So
1: I am very, very, very concerned for harlequins in general right. uh, with this new Um I, I am hoping one of two things occurs: either they lose the saveeth keyword and just become craft hold units, sure, or or they get a special detachment that caps them at nine uh, troop choices and nine. Um, I sports either of those, and I think Harlequins are still very, very, very playable. Hopping at six in, in a army with legitimately seven data sheets, um, is very, uh, challenging.
4: I mean, it kind of forces you um, into I, playing bikes and characters, right? It will force you into that, it's just if,
1: if the bikes aren't good...
4: <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you have a dead yeah. Yeah.
0: Sure. I think it's much more likely that they just become Craftworlds units because I don't think that GW is going to special snowflake anything in the indexes.
1: For sure. For sure. I was thinking when they get when the when the craft world book comes out this edition for the attachment thing.
0: Yeah, fair. But I mean, for however long it is that you're on Index Hammer, you're probably just going to be playing as Craftworlds units.
4: As somebody with um, also... only clowns troops, or cl- only clowns units from the Elf's Army, I dislike that. <laughs> yeah, you're at... And,
0: and Elves tend to get a mid-edition release.
1: Correct. I do assume that the release uh, uh, for Indexes is a much faster release than it was um, for, uh, for ninth. Keep in mind, the ninth release was still relatively quick, and... We had a two, we had a year and a half of COVID there.
4: Yeah, I was going to chime in oh, that right. I, I think the ninth release schedule would have been a lot more expeditious if we hadn't had the the COVID delays, right?
0: Yeah, they missed their entire year of uh, Splat books that they normally would get in the end of an edition, right?
1: Um, I do think that we're probably seeing two to three codexes a month out the gate. I'm actually hoping for four, because wow. That's aggressive. Being, being stuck on indexes feels bad.
4: <laughs> and with as much as they're trying to push this competitive scene, like I, I hesitate to think that four a month is realistic. Of course, that's off of my limited experience, right? Um, but also, I can totally understand the thought process behind that. Of, of we need yeah, to, to ship these out as quick as possible. You know, like these books have to hit the table. If they were Five trying four. to do four a month, there would be eight in print right now. Yes. That is insane. you got to imagine with the leaks that we've seen through this edition that we'd have heard of something at this point, right? I mean, maybe. Who knows? Unless that I was all know. calculated?
1: One, one playable faction right now, if we, do, if we stay with two a month, it is a full year for the last faction to get off of an index.
4: And that's if they well, hit
1: the every right, one of those question, releases man. right like so that that's the, that's where i'm coming from is they they try to uh put, get people off of indexes as fast as possible it did take about a year the last time they went through indexes however however the beginning of eighth edition was still on the ceo or gw said that we make a we make we do not make a rules company, we make a, we are a models company and randomly have rules to support it. We have thankfully moved on from that CEO to one that is much more worried about the game and worried about making sure the player base is happy.
0: Um, yes, yes, that that is definitely a difference.
1: Um, so that is why I'm thinking it will be slightly faster than it was last time, because Playing with no rules effectively, like you have data sheets, but no rules for 12 months, um, feels challenging.
4: Do we think um, that that transition is about mitigated a little bit by the special rules being migrated over to data sheets?
1: I understand that to an extent. I think in indexes, you will have far less rules than you currently have.
4: So do we think that data sheets are going to actually look different to an extent from what they are in the index on release?
1: Oh, uh, my thought process is you'll have very minimal rules and in indexes. That's how it was last time. Sure. Most know um, that you had very, very, very minimal rules. And as you got codexes, you got your rules added back to you. Okay. Um,
0: Cox says... Said- does Index Hammer for a year feel more or less bad than trying to sell Guard players another Codex <laughs> ten months after their last one?
4: <laughs> Poor Guard.
0: I'm just kidding. What about World Leaders I mean, it, it, though, it, dude? Yeah, no, they're getting wrecked,
1: too. Do you not remember the Sisters release? They had, a, they had eight and a half months.
0: I mean, yeah. uh, no, I, I remember. Uh, but they also didn't really have a model range
1: except in Metal. I mean from eighth edition to ninth edition, they have eight and a half months of a book.
4: That's still more than guard. <laughs> I mean guard's sitting at what if from their actual like well, book they, release they, outside they, of that limited edition box, they're gonna be at almost six months before end of end of edition.
1: I mean that's just how because of how GW's sales cycle works some poor four factions at the end of the edition are going to be in that situation.
4: <laughs> some, where... some poor turds that drew the, the short straw. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: it consistently seems to be guard. Guard gets the short straw a lot.
1: They had a very early book in, in 8. They had a long time with that book.
0: Um,
4: Look, but... having, a, having a really early book is also not a blessing. The, other, the other part of that, Correct. though, is like they just got a whole model line refresh, and a lot of that's been super limited to acquire. So I, I my heart goes out to the guard player that is just finishing his model line and getting everything painted up and gets to get two solid events in before the codex changes to an index. <laughs> oh, no. I, Don, uh, I'm just going to
0: point this out for you. So you remember how the Necrons have been for most of this edition?
4: Hey, you shut your dirty mouth, Okay. I don't need. I don't need this, right? I don't need this evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. The opposite
0: base ranges at the beginning of the edition. And guess who's that? It's your turn, buddy. It's your I'm, turn.
4: I'm aware, but you know, luckily for me, I have Tyranids and an equivalent amount of Necrons sitting on the shelves. So when the situation reverses, you'll just see me playing robots at the end of ten. <laughs> oh man,
0: I don't. I Ooh... Oh, could you imagine if if robots are broken this time? I do not want uh, resurrection protocols to be good again. No, thank you.
3: I'm okay with it for for me it, for me, it's like the meme where the guy's like sitting on like the gallow or not uh like with the the noose around his neck. <laughs> and he's like you've not time. been here before bro first time
0: <laughs> First time, brother.
3: It's like Marines are like always a part of the the release.
4: So it's like, yeah, oh
0: sometimes you get a second book and you always get splat books.
4: Yeah, you always get updates. Like so poor Necrons have been sitting just butt in the wind for like no, half the edition. Like like, no.
1: No, they had a good they had a good update from Data Slate. But Marines do seem to have this like weird uh occurrence where they hit the peak at the start of the edition. And then roller coaster dive down to the bottom for the middle, like three or four months
4: of the edition. (laughs) Except for a couple sporadic
0: chapters.
4: (laughs) And they boost it back up. But throughout that whole thing, Peyton, like that whole roller coaster down, there's always like one or two chapters that just like freaking eagle shoot to the top. They're just like, oh, now Blood Angels is super duper good for three weeks. Okay, now they're bad everybody bought all the sanguinary guard <laughs> I, we're sold out of sanguinary guard okay blood angels can suck again it's fine <laughs> yeah
0: you can tell when a quarter is going to close when GW starts trying to push marine sales
4: <laughs> <laughs> they release what Desolation Squad's like oh I'll buy this new Primaris marine kit that's totally different from the other ones <laughs> oh darn
0: I guess we need to inflate our sales for the end of the quarter mm. what marine kits do we have
4: kicking about uh, let's make those good for a while. Let's throw some guard vets in with the, the lion here. It's because they're part of his kit and it's super important and not because we had 5 million of them hanging out that nobody wanted. Okay? Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Why do, do we have 600 of sitting around in, in different places? Oh, is it speeder Tornadoes that nobody bought for two editions? Okay,
1: cool. So, speaking of that kind of thought process... You guys think War Gear is gonna be paid for this new, new edition?
0: Oh man, I hope so. I like the granularity of paying for war gear. It gives you so many more levers to pull to tune the units. Right? If I wanted to be paying with power level, I'd be playing Crusade.
4: Well power level's going away, so that's not relevant, right? Like power level's a thing of the past. No more power level. Um, my qualm with so I I I see the the value of paying for war gear. Sure sure sure. Right. Um, however, what the what is the point of war gear if it doubles the cost of the dang unit? It's not a, it's not relevant then. Right. Like looking at sixty points for venom cannons on a harpy. Like what is the just take it off the data sheet. Nobody's paying for that. Yeah, Ten points for a power claw on an eight point model. Yes, that's that's freaking bananas. Like. If we're gonna do extra points for for war gear, sure, okay, but let's make it like reasonable. It doesn't need to be a flat ten points for for a power cloth for every dang model, right? Like, sure, ten points for the guy that costs thirty. I'm in for it, right? Five points for the dude that costs eight. Yeah, uh, and they have different uh, profiles now too, so I think that they can. I think they can experiment with that, right? If you're if you just have it flat out in the profile, the Space Marine swings a chainsword at X instead of Y, and a guardsman swings it at Y instead of X, you can just make that arbitrarily cost more or less for that unit,
0: right? I mean, we've been talking about Space Marines for a while now, and we haven't mentioned, like, we're burying the lead, boys. We're burying the lead. Uh, Has anybody heard Games Workshop say the word primaris since they announced 10th edition?
4: Just that it's tied into the firstborn, right? That they're all the same? Well so I saw an interesting article it
3: on day of recording today the they showed the um the new lieutenant with the oh god he looks so cool by the way. Anyways just one he's he's got a combi flamer. So that's you know, super cool. And he's got like um kind of tyrannic war vet vibes to it, which is really cool, but it wasn't marketed as a new like primaris phobos lieutenant it was just a phobos lieutenant right and then that person's like that's kind of odd because every other time they've released a new lieutenant model that was primaris it's like oh look at this new primaris lieutenant even the ones that were um uh primaris reaver lieutenant like it when when all those came out they were marketed that way and anyways he's like oh i'm just kind of curious since the, since 10th, kind of the, the cat was out of the bag for 10th edition, like Games Workshop hasn't mentioned the word Primaris in a single article. So, which leads me to believe that maybe a Marine is just a Marine. They're just an Adeptus thirties model. They're not, you know, Primaris or Firstborn or this or that. They're just Adeptus Thirties models, which I think would would make things one a lot more granular because right now, like certain stuff can't go in transports because it doesn't have a keyword. And I think that limits the design space for the game. And then I think it also is, is really confusing because if a new player rolls up and it's like, Hey, I'm going to play with my cool new, you know, primaris intercessors and I'm going to put them in this land raider because land raiders are cool because they are. And, and, Somebody then's like, hey, man, you can't actually do that because, you know, they have the primaries keyword. It's just off-putting. Uh, it, but hopefully that goes yeah. away because that'll make things a lot more uh, simplistic.
0: It's very immersion-breaking to not be able to put your spaceman in their spaceman truck. Like, that's... It makes no sense. Uh, how many primaries lieutenants do you own, Ford?
3: Uh so there are actually fifteen Lieutenant models. Uh that includes like the Dark Angel one and the Blood Angel one and a Space Wolf one and uh I think one other, but out of the eleven I'm only missing three. Inquiring minds But that's oh. but that's including the new uh like Phobos um Lieutenant that's coming out, like
0: because that will be owned immediately. So you're missing two and the as-yet-unreleased
3: one. Uh, no, three. I'm missing the, the, one. the Warhammer World 2021, like the Blade Guard lieutenant one. The 500-year anniversary lieutenant, which is like way too much on eBay. That's why I don't have it. Um, And then the Shadow Spear lieutenant, which is just like a couple bucks on eBay. I just haven't managed to, to acquire it.
1: Mm.
0: Noted. That has been noted for later. Very good. Huh. Well, does anybody else have anything groundbreaking or revolutionary to say about 10th edition other than I hope they don't fuck it up?
4: Absolutely. I take extreme offense as a Tyranids player to the fact that the only uniquely freaking Xenos or opponent opposition outfitted lieutenant that shows up in the Space Marine line is a he's got Tyranid Carapace on him he's got the wrong colored Tyranid blood so so offended they've cut me so deep and it just hurts to my core and I don't understand why they would do that to us in this edition oh Don you just wait
3: I'm not gonna wait
4: I've already told
3: Shone I was like I've been inspired today and he goes oh I'm going to fully convert a ten man squad of tyrannic war veterans
4: you know I, I hate this but also I just clipped all of the bits off of my Tyranid sprues so I will send you bits you piece of my good friend
0: um, since we're talking about Tranic war veterans I would like <laughs> to point out that they are still one of the most efficient units in Ninth edition
4: just
3: that unit is just...
4: back when nids were
0: like mega
3: good
4: Ugh. <sighs> Get out of here! I don't want to hear your. I don't want to hear anything from you, Ward. You were the bane of my existence during <laughs> my prime like, as Nids. Like points per wound. Those dudes are so cheap. Those are the stupid shield sword guard dudes that just run way too fast, right? Like, no, they're they're um, just they're they're two
0: wound marine bodies, but they're just cheaper than marines. With a plus one to hit against Tyranid models.
4: Yeah. Have I told you today how much I hate you, Ward? (laughs) (laughs) Don't (laughs) hate the player, hate the game. Uh, (laughs) And On that note, uh, don't hate the music. I certainly will. Thanks, everybody. If you're still with us, maybe there was something in this podcast that you enjoyed. So please
0: consider clicking like, commenting, and clicking that subscribe button.